Hey everyone, this week I spoke with Dr. Jonathan Zoma. Dr. Zoma is an orthopedic surgeon and fellowship trained in sports medicine. For those of you who are unaware of what a fellowship is, it's the highest level of training you can receive as a physician. Dr. Zoma was born and raised in Detroit and still has family back in Africa that he visits regularly. He's very calm and collected and has a very cool delivery about what he has to say. I do have to disclose that I work with Dr. Zoma in a professional manner and receive funding as a result of our work together. I'm very grateful for the time Dr. Zoma spent talking to me. It was really insightful, and I think there's a lot to be learned from what he had to say. I hope you enjoy it, and without further ado, here he is. Detroit is everything. Detroit is family. It's roots. You know, it, it means uh, so much to me. I mean, from my mother to my father, my siblings, everything that, you know, it's my whole upbringing is tied up in Detroit. Seeing it being a city that uh, was asleep for many years, you know, to, to the city that it's becoming now, it's, it's an amazing transformation. Dr. Jonathan Zoma, it's an honor and a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Awesome. I got to tell you, in the uh, short time that I've known you, you have a very cool demeanor about you. You're a... Uh, you're very chill, and I want to know how you do it. <laughs> well, that's interesting. You know, I don't really think of it as something I'm doing. It's just, um, I guess it's the way I see life. You know, you can be, you can spaz out about everything, or you can take things one 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 thing at a time. And for me, this is just the, the natural way to be. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, you're an orthopedic surgeon, and I definitely want my surgeon to be chill in the OR because it's certainly got to be a high-stress environment, right? Absolutely. Uh, there are certain parts of the case where you know something can go wrong, and routinely I'll, I can feel my chest pounding. You know, I can I can tell my heart rate's going up because I have to make sure that something doesn't go wrong, and I plan those things ahead of time, and... Uh, and it makes a big difference. Um, and that's just the name of the game. That's surgery in general. And uh, it's not something I can control necessarily, but it kind of reminds me uh, that, that that that's what it's there for. Um, you know, my heart, my heart rate and those kind of things, you would think you get used to it. Um, what I did learn recently is that you, if you if you look at stress as something negative, something that's against you, then um, then that's what it ends up being. But if you take that as a reminder that, hey, this is reminding me that I'm doing something serious and I need to focus and it's on your side, then it becomes more of a, a beneficial thing. And so that's the way I've that's the way I approach it, which is uh, pretty helpful. very helpful. Mm -hmm. So that stress doesn't end up killing. No, you. man, you can't let it. It definitely could if you don't have that that view of stress. I really think stress and Tell me if I'm wrong, is really that silent death dealer, though. I think people are so wound up through the day and traffic on the highway. Ah. Oh, definitely. I mean, when we see that, um, you know, uh, there's a name for it in the Japanese culture. I don't know the name, but uh, but there are people who literally work to death. You know, they don't have another yeah, reason that's right. for it. So it's a real thing. Um, the mind is very powerful, and that's why I'm very thankful I learned that um, the way I look at stress really matters. And so... That's kind of uh, why I am the way I am. 
you do any like breathing techniques or like yoga or anything like that meditation i do i do all of those things so yeah? i did yoga yoga i learned in medical school i had a student who a co-student um colleague who just would host a class three four times a week in a big lecture room and it was amazing I didn't know much about it, but she offered, and I was like, yeah, let's do it. That's awesome. And so I still do it to this day uh, based on that. Meditation, I took a proper meditation class. Um, I try to meditate twice a day. It depends on my schedule. If I'm er up early enough, I'll do 20 minutes. And then what I've been trying to do is carve 20 minutes in the midday to do it. So while most people are eating lunch, I'll go sit somewhere for 20 minutes and do it like right before I eat and then grab a bite and then go back to doing whatever I need to do. It's obviously harder on surgery days, but sometimes I can squeeze it in during a turnover. Good for you. Yeah, but clearly it's made a difference. Very important, yeah, for me. Mm -hmm. So you're an orthopedic surgeon in the Detroit area, right? That's correct. You're in Southfield? Uh, my office is in Bingham Farms, which is just outside of Southfield. Okay. Well, speaking of, that's a, that's a good segue into asking... Uh, what give us your info let's let's throw a call to action out there right away for uh people who know that they might need a procedure done uh by an orthopedic surgeon uh somebody that has a parent that or a grandparent that has some aching joints or or what have you so let's throw out your office info and uh you know your sure. phone number if you got it sure so my office is uh the spine specialist of michigan orthopedic group and that's at 32270 telegraph road Suite 110, and that's in Bingham Farms, and the zip there is 48025. The phone number there is 248-792-9496. Again, that's 248-792-9496. Awesome. Well, let's get into it. So tell us, what what is an orthopedic surgeon? So when you go to medical school, you either choose to do surgery or you choose to do medicine. And orthopedics is a subspecialty of surgery. And what we focus on are bones, joints, tendons, mostly um, either spine or shoulders, hips, knees. There are a lot of specialties when it comes to orthopedics, and we can get additional training once we finish our basic training in orthopedics and pediatrics or spine, like I mentioned, shoulder and elbow, sports medicine. So these are uh, these are areas of the body, but what types of procedures do you do specifically? What well, are most common, I should ask? Well, my, ex my training is in sports medicine, but in sports medicine, you want to take care of the entire athlete, uh, regardless of age. And so what that means for me is I do shoulders, hips, and knees, and that means arthroscopic surgery for ligament repair. And then if someone has arthritis, for example, in the shoulder and they're not indicated to have or they can't have a, a uh, shoulder arthroscopy, then um, and their treatment diagnosis is such that they need a joint replacement, that would be a total shoulder replacement or in some cases a reverse total shoulder replacement. And those are procedures that I do. Same thing for the hip. If the hip diagnosis is arthritis and they've tried medicine, injections, physical therapy, the pain is affecting their quality of life and they're indicated to have a total hip replacement. And I do that procedure through an anterior approach. And then finally in the knee, I do the same range of procedures. I do the scope into the knee and then a total knee replacement and partial knee replacements as well. Okay. So what that means is you're putting in like 
metal and plastic components that essentially just mimic anatomically uh, what the patient's bones do, correct? Exactly, exactly. So the way I look at joint replacements is it's not really replacement. It's more of a resurfacing when the surface goes bad, and especially in the cases where there's bone rubbing on the bone, you want to replace that surface with a metal on plastic. And so that kind of articulation decreases the bone, stops it from rubbing on bone on bone and recreates the space and balances the ligaments and helps someone function um, after something really bad like arthritis. So these sound like really common procedures then? Very common, yep. Hundreds of thousands of both uh, hip and knee surgeries done every year. Uh, And it's something that really changes lives. When people have it, they can get back to doing normal activities. It really makes a difference. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, I, uh, I have multiple family members who have gotten those types of procedures and I mean, they feel great after. It's 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 one of those things where they're like, I don't know why I didn't didn't get it done earlier. You know what I mean? Yes, I hear that quite a bit, actually. Nice. So, is this a, a big revenue generator for the hospitals then, if they're pretty common? Well, not yes and no. I'm not really sure what the hospitals and you know, as doctors, you would think we know all about the billing. You know, I can tell you the general cost of implants and how much you know the surgery cost. But, you know, when a surgery happens, you know, there's the cost for the time in the OR, anesthesia costs, and so on and so forth. But some of these procedures are are being moved to surgery centers, and that's kind of the, a newer trend. And it's, I think, it's been sped up in some ways because of COVID. Mm-hmm. You know, at a surgery center like the one I work at, which is Specialty Surgery Center in uh, Oak Park, uh, we just have our operating rooms, so there's no one there with COVID. There are no sick patients. You kind of come in for your surgery and go home, and that's a clear advantage. Um, I've unfortunately had surgery myself, knee scope twice on, on my left knee, and I had it done at a surgery center in Chicago. It was a wonderful experience. You know, I went in, um, had the procedure, was home you know, shortly thereafter. And uh, I just, that was part of my draw into this type of surgery. And, and now we're starting to do joint replacements in the same area, which is, which is great. Wow. That is awesome. You know, it's interesting. I, I do want to talk about COVID a little later, but you know, when it comes to what you're just saying, I, I think that people want to get their procedure done and they want to heal at home. They want to be in the comfort of their home. And I would probably make the argument that if they're more comfortable, they're going to heal better as long as they're doing their physical therapy or whatever, you know, just to uh, improve the chance of their outcome. Does that sound correct? Absolutely. So in terms of comfort, um, being in your own home, you know where things are. When you wake up, and you know where the bathroom too. is. Those things make a huge difference. <laughs> um, being able to put on your own clothes, that's, you know, those are the big pointers for home. And in addition to that, having, I think, having a, a reason for getting the surgery done, uh, those the difference between people who do and do not have that is huge. For example, let's say you want to get back to walking your dog, you're not able to do that now. Having that as something that you're willing, you're uh, as a goal for you after surgery is a is a big deal. And so we notice people doing very well as a result of that. Sure. So I I want to get to know you. I want other people to know you on a more personal level. And uh, I, I guess I want to know where did where did you grow up? Where was, uh, where was young Dr. Zoma and, uh, uh, where did you do your training? So I, I grew up in Detroit. So I'm from the west side of Detroit. So seven mile road, uh, evergreen 
is the area where I'm from. Uh, that's where I grew up most of my life. And went to Detroit public schools throughout. Went to Renaissance High School for high school and then went to Eastern Michigan for undergrad. And I uh, wanted to do medicine, so I applied and got into Michigan State University, and that's where I did medical school. So I want to ask a, a dangerous question here, but being that you're from the west side of Detroit where there's a lot of lack of opportunity, of upward mobility, uh, not the greatest education, so I've heard, um, I would say you're you're very fortunate in in making it out of the area that you grew up in would you would you agree with that in a sense and how would you kind of assess that looking back retrospectively i would say yeah that's a, that's a fair statement um but i think it's no different from any other inner city uh nothing special there um when it comes to opportunities certainly that's a big uh, game changer i think uh, if you have the better access to Better schools gives you, opens more doors. But I think yeah. what matters most, even more than that, is your drive to do it and then support. You know, I have a, a wonderful family. I have brothers and sisters. And um, when you have something like that and you have a brother and sister that go ahead of you and they go to college, then you kind of see that that's the path you need to take. And so these are all, they become given things more so than being told that you need to do things. And so for me, uh, it's 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 been how I, how I was raised, the people that I was raised about raised with, the fact that I had my parents uh, to guide me. All those things were a big part of making me who I am today. That's great, good mm-hmm. for you. So you were talking about family, and uh, you know you were you were telling me that you've done some work overseas in Africa, and you have family over there, right? I do, I do. So my name is Zoma. It's uh, spelled N like Nancy. Z-O-M-A, and that's um, from from East Africa. My parents both came from Kenya. So Kenya is a country on the east side of the continent, and uh, I'm in medicine now because of my mother. She was a nurse, and she actually came to the United States because she was a nurse. So there was a big recruiting effort. There still is. We still get nurses from all over uh, to come here and to do the, the, do the work that's needed. And so she was recruited... 40-something years ago, 43, 44 years ago. Wow. And so she came over. She was here for a year. Then my dad joined her. And then uh, we were all born and raised here. Um, But uh, all of her siblings were still back there. My dad's family is there. And so we've kept, uh, obviously kept in touch with our family members. We have cousins. Wow, Uh, that's cool. The family has just grown Tremendously. So I try to get back there every two years if I can. Cool. Um, so you've been back there frequently? We try to. Um, we, uh, My wife is from a different country. Her parents came from Ghana. So we, oh. we have to go to Ghana. We have to go to Kenya and back and forth. And so. What's that flight like? The flight is, uh, <laughs> it's not, it's not a lot a of fun. It's a big continent. It is a big continent, but it, it's, it's, it's a, uh, It's actually nice. I I like it. So there are two options. You either fly direct, which is like a 12-hour haul, or you break it up. And typically, we're traveling with our kids who are 10 and uh, 8. So it's we go to Amsterdam first and then get on a second flight and go from Amsterdam to Africa. And so that's what we typically do. And, I, you know, the last time I was there, I got a – it was the first time I was done with all my training. So I started going – 
even in Ghana when I was a medical student. And that's one of the the mentors that I had in Ghana was amazing, just just blew me away. And so he built his own hospital in Ghana and it was all about orthopedics. And, um, you know, I was able to spend spend a month there while I was in medical school uh, doing some research and helping out and doing helping with surgery. And then that's the time when I was applying and interviewing actually here for orthopedics. And so uh, all of those things together kind of uh, make me want to stay committed to trying to, to do whatever I can to make things as equal uh, to the type of care that we have here. So this time I was in Kenya last August 2018. And uh, the really nice thing, I was able to work at two hospitals, uh, the Cure Hospital and then um a, uh, a hospital through the Presbyterian Church. And uh, I was able to work with two uh, great surgeons and kind of open the door for um, doing surgeries, the type of surgeries that I do here. So, you know, uh, sports medicine, I actually was able to, to help out with a few athletes. And, um, you know, it was interesting, the same type of pathology, but, you know, they're doing playing rugby and some sports that we don't really do here, sure. but, but the pathology is the same. Right. Different types of And the of surgery injuries. is the same. So, um, that was a great experience. And now that that door is open, I plan to go back and do more, uh, no, more work with those doctors that I worked with, uh, this last time. Wow. That's awesome. Do, do you find that people are healthier on the overall over there because they're not eating the crap American food and getting the, the inflammation in their joints and their body? So that's that's a very interesting question. So it's yes and no. So just like in, in Kenya, is just like every other country in the world where they've modeled the American diet. And so you'd uh, see in the city, it's the same type of problems that you see here, the obesity, diabetes, et cetera. But, um, you know, there there's, there's a big conversation about um, what to eat and there's so many doctors with their own platforms that you know saying what's right and what's best but what we do know is that um, if you think of people who live out on a remote areas uh, in the village they typically eat uh, a very old diet and they walk a lot and they seem to be healthy and they seem to be happy um, to me that is always at the top of my mind as to um what it really means to be healthy. You know, you don't need a lot. You don't have, you, you do need community. You do need friends. You do need support. You need a physical, physical work. You know, you need to walk. Um, and, and these are things that we have eliminated in our, in our lifestyles here, which, which can come back to bite us. Right. And so and the same thing with, with, uh, you know, healthy fruits and vegetables um, and, and meat in moderation, you know, so those are, those are kind of the, I would say core things that you find. Um, and it's still true today. If you go out to the r remote villages of some of these countries. I think that's cool. I mm -hmm. think that's cool that you talk about nutrition because I don't want to say it's taboo, but uh, you know, it's. Some you don't really hear physicians address unless you're a nutritionist, but they're not physicians per se. Sure. But you know what I'm saying when it comes to disease conditions. Yeah, and it is a big part of it. And unfortunately, it's just it, it, it's so polarizing and it's, it's hard when you're a doctor to, to kind of to know even who to, to trust. So thankfully for me, um, I was able to find that instead of me 
it, what I just told you was the the most realistic explanation as to how you should eat and nutrition and why it works. But um, as far as if you wanted to know what the best way to do to be healthy, um, the American College of Lifestyle Medicine is a, is a great opportunity for people to learn that. And so you're starting to see more and more doctors trained to learn what lifestyle medicine is. And lifestyle medicine really promotes uh, six major areas, um, nutrition being a big part of it. And um, the key there is if you want to be an athlete, right, you, you really are looking at your numbers and you're looking at your performance. And so you'll try whatever it is as long as it helps those numbers improve. And so you'll see athletes like Kyrie Irving or um, – you know, there's so many of them now. The Tennessee Titans, basically, almost the majority of the football team has tried some of these new changes. And and you can see from their productivity and how they're feeling that it makes a difference. Um, so, you know, the resources are out there. I think the word is spreading. And that's a big part of what I do. Uh, it is harder to talk to patients because you need to give people concrete uh, evidence and you need to give people um very specific instructions on what to do, you know, and that's where I feel like we're, we can do better. If you, if you want to tell me how to shop then tell me how to shop at Kroger or what's in my community, you know, what's available to me. Um, and I think we can do better in that way. And that's, that actually is a, is a passion of mine because again, it does relate to your overall, um, physicality, your ability to, to, to be an athlete. And I think of, uh, of everyone, sort of from that frame of reference. I think we should all be active to some degree. And um, and, th- and that's why I feel it's really important. I agree. And I think being active doesn't necessarily require a gym membership. I mean, it's uh, it's walking through your neighborhood, right? Yeah. It's eating better foods based on what you do as a community, right? Yeah, exactly. So, again, um, if you walk 30 minutes a day, that's really what you, your body needs. Um, if you're not doing that, you can um, it's important to know that you can do that 30 minutes in, in 10 minute blocks. So you can do 10 minutes after breakfast. You can do 10 minutes after lunch, 10 minutes after dinner. That's what makes a difference for you. Um, you take can modify. the stairs and not the elevator. You take the stairs. You can, if you have problems with your knees, you can get on a bike. Um, so those are all the things that are, are, are very important. Speaking of bike workouts, I got on one of these old school bikes not too long ago, the ones that have the arms. Oh yeah, that, that you go forward and back yeah. as you're pedaling. That's one of the most <laughs> intense workouts, man. I'll tell you what, that beat me up. But um, you know, in Canton, Michigan, I just read this article that uh, they're putting in these community uh, outdoor gyms where people can do like box jumps. They can do pull-ups. Mm-hmm. You know, they could. You know, it's 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 like a it's it's universal in the sense that they're putting them all across the country. It's part of this greater initiative to bring awareness to health and exercise. And they got one of them in Canton, right? So it has all those things like dip bars and whatnot. I think it's awesome. Yes. You go to a place like California and, you know, people are on the beach doing like, you know, ring pull-ups and stuff like that. You're like, dang. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely. So we need more of that. And um, honestly, that's one thing I saw recently, um, that doctors need to do more promoting of this kind of thing. And something like that is a great example of, um, not just, uh, that you should be doing something, but here's how to do it. You know, here's, 
you know, a place like that, you could have the instructions there for people to, if you didn't know what you were doing, to come do it. Um, but I will say there is some there is some benefit to working with a trainer. Uh, and if you can't afford one nowadays, they're online, they're on your phone, they're on apps. And so, yeah, sure. These are all opportunities for us to to really make our lives better. I agree. And, you know, you got to acknowledge that COVID has really put a halt to all of that because people are afraid to go outside their homes and, and go for a picnic and maybe make some food or go to church and, you know, do a meal with, you know, the people in their community or, well, gyms are another subject altogether, but there's this uh, lack of motivation due to fear. You know, I don't want to go outside for, you know, fear I might breathe the air and catch something or bump into somebody, right? Yeah, so exactly. It's, uh, exactly. It's an unfortunate time. It is, but um, I'm hopeful that, you know, we start to shift in the, in the right direction and, and some of these things get under control. How has the COVID affected you professionally and personally? Um, personally, it's been, it's been tough. Like uh, I mentioned, um, I'm one of six siblings, uh, and, and all of us live here in Detroit. All right. And not being able to go to my sister's house and, and hang out or, my you know, us to gather as, you know, like we normally would for Thanksgiving. You know, that's a big that's a big loss. Um, now we got Christmas on exactly. around the corner. Uh, we did Zoom, a Zoom Thanksgiving, which was the, the craziest thing. I mean, I'm thankful that we're able to see each other, but it's just, you know, it's not the same. Um I am thankful that we have the technology versus not. I think if we didn't have it, it'd be worse. Yeah. But those kind of things, uh, they it really puts a damper on on how we uh, how we function. Like I, I really feed off of that. I, I really get uh, rejuvenated um, from my family. And then the other things, you know, my kids. I'm spending a lot more time with my kids than we would normally, and. They're currently in a in a hybrid model for for education, so they're in school two days and home two days. But I really feel bad for them. Any kid in elementary school should not be on a computer trying that's, to learn, you know, the from toughest. their teachers. It's it's just to us. I mean, I think even when you become an adult, you're still you still have a child in you, and the more you embrace that, yeah. the better. Because um, that's why you I'm know, doing this podcast, man. Yeah, I mean, if you if you if your life is is too stiff from, you know, all these rules of being an adult, you know, it can, it can wear down on you. But to that point, you know, these kids, uh, you know, they, you just see them just drained just, you know, from yeah. being on zoom all day. And so I, it, it'll be nice when they can, we can kind of get back to normal for, for us. And so that's how it's really affected my family. Um, and me personally, uh, but as far as professionally, certainly not doing as many cases as we would normally. Uh, there was a, Big time there when we're just not, you know, everything was shut down, elective. That was really hard, especially if you get. So you said a elective. I just want to stop you real quick. So elective is like quote unquote elective. That's the, yeah. because I've read that, that's the, the phrase for the type of surgery, elective surgery. Correct. Right? So elective just means that you elect or you choose to do it. Whereas if you are having a heart attack or you need emergency heart surgery, you don't elect to do that. Yeah, that's, sure. You have to do that. So. These these type of elective procedures or the surgeries that I do still, you know, if I'm a person who can't walk and I need this surgery, certainly it's elective, but it's very important to my ability to get back to work or or to enjoy my life. But, you know, for a period of time, those surgeries are put on hold. And even some I've even heard recently in our area, some some hospitals have had to hold off on that because of ICU capacity. 
meaning if the hospital doesn't have enough uh, ICU beds or critical care beds to take care of very sick people, then you can't have surgeries done because then there would be nowhere for them to go if they needed to. So those are all things that we've been dealing with. Um, And I'm in private practice now. I don't really spend a lot of time at the hospital. Um, And so I've kind of benefited in that way. But it's, it's still been a struggle. And I would agree that I think I would be in agreement with many surgeons that we're all looking for a time where we can get back to normal. Sure. And I, I see it's on the horizon. I think the vaccine's coming out pretty quickly. The people in healthcare will get it, and hopefully that trickles down to everyone feeling better and the disease not spreading like it is now. Yeah, I hope it's as uh, effective as everybody uh, is hoping it's going to be. I'm a little confused recently because the numbers I've been reading, and I, I don't want to get into the weeds too much because I understand that there's different perspectives. But uh, from what I've been told, what I've read, is that when you get COVID, you have a, I know everybody's different, but you have a 99% chance of getting better, of getting through it. And the flu is, excuse me, not the flu, the vaccine mm-hmm. is something like 94%. So 94% of, is that, oh God, I sound like an idiot, preventing yourself from getting it or, or getting over it? I don't know. So, you know, these studies, um, you know, they're, they're, they're saying, they're comparing people who've gotten the vaccine to people who didn't, and they're looking at the effectiveness of the vaccine. So if they quote Pfizer or Moderna, 90%, 90, 95%, 94%. They're basically saying that the vaccine was was that effective at at stopping them from actually getting the disease, and so I mean these are difficult things to measure. Um, it can be complicated to look at the at the details, but I think um, the the benefit of the vaccine is that you're not really getting exposed to the actual virus, but you're you're kind of triggering your body to respond to it. So oh, okay. if you do get it. Then your body looks at it and says, hey, this doesn't belong here, and you are already um, used to it. So the biggest reason why this is such a problem for us is that we're not used to it. Um, We haven't had this this virus in the past, and so the vaccine essentially gives our bodies uh, a fighting chance such such that if we're exposed to it, then we can fight it and and beat it. So you said it's not the the COVID itself, but I'm guessing it's just like a, a protein of the Correct. of the virus. Correct. So they took the DNA and then um you know there's DNA, there's RNA and then they use it to sequence uh a part of that virus. So it's a matching mirroring part of the virus and that's mm-hmm. what your body would recognize. Oh, this is the the virus. Then your body has a response to it and you make these antibodies to fight it. And then those antibodies are excuse me. Those antibodies are available then to fight the virus should you get it. And it's kind of a, you know, the immune system is very complicated, but it's about knowing what's supposed to be in your body and what's not, and knowing if you've seen something before and if if you haven't. And what's really scary about this virus is that um, there can be completely healthy people that get exposed to it, and, and we're still not sure why their bodies aren't able to handle it, and they die from it. And so... By having a vaccine, if your body is already 
has a defense for it, then it can't really catch you off guard in the same way. Yeah, so a couple points here. Um, I heard somebody say at the very beginning that we're very fortunate that the mortality rate of this thing wasn't 3x, 8x, 12x. Absolutely. Really bad. Certainly, yeah. I mean, even the the virus can mutate. It could have done that. I mean, but I, I, you know, this, you know, we talked about how this has affected me personally and professionally. To me, you know, I still use America as kind of a benchmark to the world. And, and, um, you know, if you look at other countries and you look at the response other places versus how we've dealt with it here, I mean, certainly, you know, that's an argument. You can argue however you want, but if you just look at the numbers, um, I just wish we have, I wish we could have done better. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's really hard to see, uh, what's happening. Um, and you know, I don't, I don't want to get into the, to the weeds of what's the cause, but it's the same as like math, you know, like we used to be the best in the world in math. If you look at that number, we're not, you know, and maybe that doesn't bother you. But, you know, when you look at reading and then you look at this and that, you know, when it comes to medicine, though, and diseases, we're supposed to be up there. And so to me, um, that's concerning that we let anything get in the way of of us being, you know, at the at the top of that is 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 something that's disappointing, I would say. So clearly you're implying having it being politicized. Uh, yeah, not just politicized. Yeah, politicized and affecting people's behavior on it, but also just uh, just taking it seriously. I mean, you know, even if you look at um, look at Canada versus us, it's not even close. You know, and they're right, they're across. You know, from Detroit, you take the bridge. You know, right. So, I don't know. That's what I mean. Um, not even not even politics just just take it seriously and um you know but i mean there's been such a debate over over it and um and i don't think you really need to know everything to be healthy um you just have to i don't know i think where we get our information matters and the fact that you know i don't know i don't is it politics you would say that that you would um that make you look at things a certain way is it you know is is it what you're being told or is it what you think is it what you believe i don't know i think it's it can get very very complicated but i still feel at the end of the day um um we could have handled it better um and i still think we could we could be doing a better job and and but i think that's you know hindsight sure so you had made the comment earlier that uh, it's scary because healthy people are getting it and just dying. And I remember Dr. Fauci saying early on, he goes, there certainly is a genetic component that we haven't figured out because you will get that young, healthy adult that gets it. And then before you know it, they're, they're sick and they're, in the, they're checked into the hospital. You know, early on, they were putting people on vents. So they just end up on a vent, and then they just end up dying. And so that was the the scary wild card in all of that. I also think how interesting it is how the United States is a series of countries, essentially. Each one of these states is a country of its own, but we're considered the United States of America. So as a greater whole, our numbers are gigantic. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, that's that's the issue. Um, but it, to me, I mean, there's so many sides to it. There's the medical side, and and you know, and we do have freedom in this country, and and um, but we're not really able to connect that my choices may affect the nurse that lives, you know, in my neighborhood, you know, because she may end up working extra shifts because her colleagues have died. And then now she gets sick because it's not just a virus and you getting it one time. It's, it's repeated exposure to it. You know, like if you keep getting doses and doses and doses and doses of the virus over at some point, you know, it, it's a bad thing. And we've seen That's doctors right. die from it and I forgot about that and the like. And so it's, it's that sort of thing that, um, you know, it takes, you know, it takes courage to, you know, to look at it that way. It, it takes some understanding, but, but that's the reality. That's kind of where we are with it. Yeah. Well, I think it's safe to say that all of us hope the wave recedes sooner than later. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I certainly hope that uh, things become better professionally in terms of you getting busier with the elective surgeries. Oh, yeah. I mean, again, I'm thankful I'm still able to help people, uh, but certainly it's not a it's not the same as how it used to be. I think most people are down uh, to some degree. Down in terms of what? In cases? Numbers that they're able to help people, yeah. Okay. So one thing I wanted to ask you about, uh, I was reading a little bit about this uh, type of hip procedure, whereas like people, there's like a traditional way of getting it, but it seems to be all the rage these days. They're, they're talking about some, uh, I think it's direct anterior. Yes. Does that sound right? Yep, that's it. So, you know, every few years you'll you'll see something um, that comes along, and it really isn't that the the procedure is new or that the approach is new. It's just that it's it's marketing and that it spreads. In other words, people are googling it, people are searching it out. When you say approach, what do you mean by approach? Um, so, so when we say uh, when we say you're having a hip replacement, a lot of people don't think about how the incision is actually made. Where is it located? Is it in the front or the hip, which is anterior, or on the side of the hip, which mm. is lateral, or in the back of the hip, which is posterior? So those are just three different ways that you can get the same implant into the hip. And the reason that is is because you, you know, the hip, you have to make an incision to get the implants in, and then you have to move around certain structures to make sure that they're not damaged. And so there's those ways that you can do it. And it's surgeon's choice, but what I've seen, you know, starting back when I was training in Chicago, um, you know, after 2008, you know, there was a, a shift that started back then. And there were doctors who were spreading the, the idea of trying to do it instead of the more traditional lateral or posterior. Why don't we do this through the front? But again, it wasn't new to this country. It wasn't, and again, it's been years and years and years that this approach has, has been around, but now it's more popular. And what I noticed immediately as the person who was responsible for going up and changing the dressings and checking on the patients as a resident and training is that these patients are doing a lot better and a whole lot faster, meaning they're getting up, they're moving, they're not in as much pain, they're going home faster. Okay. So all of those benefits Less pain. You know, started making yeah started making sense to me and so um, in the anterior approach you're really moving things around you're not really cutting anything and that helps with the recovery uh, done properly you know it can help um, patients get home and so 
instead of when I trained routinely people going home three after three days of being in the hospital, I would say the vast majority of all my patients are going home the next day. So they're being cleared by physical therapy and they go home. Wow. And so that's a, that's a huge advantage. Now, not to not to poo poo or to uh, to say that the old way isn't a good way. It's still valid. It still works. Um, and at six months, it probably doesn't matter which way you had it. But if you're the patient, uh, you're probably going to choose a, something that's going to get you back to feeling closer to normal as fast as possible. And for me, that's the anterior approach. Sure. Awesome. So you do do it. I do it. Awesome. How how long is the recovery period? Not just for like a direct anterior total hip, but like uh, for knees and, and and any I guess total joint replacement. It's it's kind of sure. dependent on patient compliance, right? Uh, yes and no. I mean, the healing process is is what it is. We know a lot of tissues start to uh, heal um, by six weeks. You're you're feeling a lot better. There's less inflammation, less swelling. But I would say on average for Let's say if you have two bad knees and you're, you're going to have a knee replacement, usually it takes about two months before the knee you had done is in good shape, that it's your good knee and you're ready to have the other knee done. That's typically what I say. So could it could it be three months? You know, could it be sooner? Sure. It all depends on how you heal. There are three main phases like I was uh, alluding to. So there's inflammation, which is kind of the irritation that yeah, goes along with healing, the response to healing after a surgery. And that's what the swelling and, and irritation comes from. Once that goes away, you're really trying to maximize your range of motion and getting a joint to move through its full range of motion, which is important for muscles to act correctly. And then the last phase is really to, to get to about 90% or more as strong as the joint was before the surgery or before the condition uh, started. And, and that's at that point, you know, you're considered rehabbed. And so that's different for everyone. But in my, what I've seen, it's somewhere around two months. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. That sounds reasonable. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's pretty much all I got on the uh, the medical side of questions. But I have uh, a couple questions I ask all my guests I'd like to ask you. I sure. can't wait to ask you these. Um, one is, is we talk about Detroit and the way I've led up to this question and speaking with other guests is I, I've said that we're all kind of part of this greater whole that is Detroit. We're uh, part of this larger organism, if you will. And we all have a role to play in, in Detroit's identity. So when it comes to the city of Detroit surrounding areas, what, is, what does that mean to you, good or bad? No, Detroit is everything. Detroit is... Um it's family. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's roots. You know, it, it means uh, so much to me. I mean, from my mother to my father, my siblings, it, it, everything that, you know, it's my whole upbringing is tied up in Detroit. Um, seeing it being a city that, uh, was asleep for many years, you know, um, till, to the city that it's becoming now, it's, it's an amazing transformation. I grew up going downtown, going to Belle Isle, playing in the police athletic league, um, being in the city, you know, and nothing was happening. There was you wouldn't you I would never see a crane or anything being built. And so now you go down and 
there's like a, a new spirit to it. It's growing and um, it's thriving. It's coming alive. And and unfortunately, some people don't realize Detroit was even bigger and it was a major city prior to all of that. That was a Detroit I never saw prior to the riots and, and all of the change that happened. So right. it's it's um it's like a success story. It's like a uh, it's it's. It gives you that that grind, you know. It, it it you know it means something if you're from Detroit, and so that word just means so much to me. That was gold. That was a great answer. Um, I am excited to see uh, this Hudson building go up. Nobody's really talking about it. I don't mm-hmm. think they will until they start seeing the high rise go up and up and up, because the the Hudson building is going to be, I think, up to or over a thousand feet. Mm-hmm. And it's going to completely alter the skyline of Detroit. Absolutely. So it's uh it's very exciting, and I agree with you. It is a transformative time, and I'm I'm glad I'm alive to get to witness it, be a part of it, spend my money down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it's a beautiful city. I mean, it it really. I mean, there are not many cities that have a beautiful waterfront, and you know we have. Uh, Canada, right next, right across from it, you have so many different, um, so many different benefits, so many things you can do, you know, and it's Michigan, you know, we got winter, we have our sports teams, we have, it's, it's, there's so much here, and yeah. um, we're fortunate that we have it. I just hope these small businesses and these restaurants and these bars can weather the storm, because it's, uh, it's a tough time. For them, I, it for is. them especially. I definitely, we got to keep them and support them the best we can. But, you know, with any pandemic, you know, there is an end to it. And I think so long as people hang around and people are healthy, I expect there to be a, a rec- recurrence and us to get back on track. And and thankfully, people's people's memories are short. And as though, although we're dealing with this right now, I think. It won't be too long before it's something that people aren't really thinking about anymore. Yeah. We've come back from worse, right? Yeah. (laughs) Awesome answer. I like that a lot. Um, My last question is about music. So um, question to you. I can't wait to hear this. Uh, What's some of your favorite music? What do you you like to listen to? If you're to jump in the car, what are you putting on? So to me, everything's about energy. So... If I need to get my energy up, then that's hip-hop. And so, you know, Big Sean is from Detroit. He has a great album out. I love it. Uh, It's fantastic. You know, I grew up listening to Nas. He has a great album that's out. Um, But, yeah, I use the music for the energy and what I'm doing. I like to have it around. My wife loves Nas. Is that right? (laughs) She's from New York. That's awesome. That's her favorite. (laughs) Yeah. He was definitely my favorite back in the day. And so, yeah. And, you know, if I'm studying, I'm concentrating, I'll listen to classical music. I'll listen to jazz music. But if I need to have my energy up, um, even in my operating room, then then, then that's what I'm going with. So you do listen to music in the operating room? Is that pretty common? It's a big part of, (laughs) big part of surgery is your music. Yeah. Cause it, I mean, energy is, it's almost its own science and you have to, you have to have the right energy. And when you get into a rut, you know, it's the energy that helps you change your state and kind of get out of it. So. That is so cool. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're so cool, Dr. (laughs) Oh man, thank you. Big Sean was going to play at a, a music festival that I've been to called Coachella, and uh, he was he was going to play this this last year, but uh, you know, obviously 
the festival, like all festivals, canceled because mm-hmm. of COVID. And uh, I was I was certainly looking forward to seeing them and representing Detroit. Mm, oh, yeah, yeah. It'll be back. It'll be back. Well, Doc, thanks a lot. This has been great. You, uh, you have anything else you want to throw out there? You good? No, I'm good. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, it, it's really special to me, anything related to Detroit, and um, hope, hopefully this, is, uh, this has been useful. Yeah, absolutely. So, people, if, uh, if you need a doctor, if, if you have parents or grandparents that need to be seen for something, um, I, I think it's safe to say that uh, Dr. Zoma would be a, a great choice to go see. So thanks again, Doc. Thank I, you. I Thanks appreciate for having it. me. Yeah. Have a good night.